Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is a writer, artist, and performer whose work has appeared across various platforms and publications, including the Brooklyn Rail, McSweeney's, and NPR's The Moth. She has released three albums of original music with Big Deal Records, and she currently lives in New Jersey. Her debut novel, The Daughtership, is out now. Please welcome Boo Trundle. Hey, Boo. How you doing today? Great. I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I uh, Your book comes out in quite a while, actually. I'm catching you like on the probably the beginning of your publicity tour. Uh, I can't wait for readers to read The Daughter- Daughtership. Uh, tell readers though who are listening a little bit about it uh well it's a literary fiction and it's my first novel that's been published not the first one that i've written mm-hmm. um yeah it's called the daughtership and it is about identity basically uh and integration so there's a female character at the center of the story and she's in her 40s and her life is falling apart because of internal situations that she hasn't really confronted you know uh memories from her childhood and then the second thread of the novel is actually the memories of her childhood are embodied as three little girls living on a submarine um actually it's two little girls and a boy but they're all three representations of the main character Catherine's inner Mm -hmm. life so the submarine action is kind of running well is running parallel to the action in her life and affecting it but of course she doesn't realize that. Um, and so the way that the two story lines travel and converge really form the the, the narrative arc of the novel. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> and um, it, that's the short description. Yeah, I know. It's the it's a type of novel where I had a I have a hard time like describing it because of like everything you're doing and how uniquely you're doing it. And I'll ask questions about everything, but uh I'll let you jump into the reading. What part of the book will you be reading for us today? Um, well, I thought about this a lot, and I honestly feel like the only and best place to start is in the beginning, um, just because jumping in anywhere else, if you know, since you've read the book, could be mm-hmm. disorienting. Yeah. Although the disorient the disorientation is part of the the craft of the book, but I think better to just ground us all and read the first part. Definitely. We'll take it away and I'll be back to ask questions after. Okay. True it. I want to introduce you to my girls. We all live together in a U-boat. Why are we trapped in a German submarine? Because my dad, Craig, is a World War II buff. We grew up browsing his bookshelves in Virginia Beach. It's a naval town, home to aircraft carriers and battleships. Fighter jets rip the sky above the dunes. Somewhere underwater and not too deep is our submarine, a ghost ship, a wreck, a childhood. Ping! That's the sound of the echo sonar searching for a target. I may not be the smartest kid in the submarine, but I'm the loudest and the strongest, and it's up to me to decide what's true. The others have their own idea of true. Smushbug, star, They have their stories. Smushbug says, there's no such thing as true. I know what's true, I tell her. I know what happened. True to you, she says, is not the same as true. 
I'll give you a tour of the Unterseeboot, and that's the last German word I'll use. Underseeboot. You know the shape. A cigar. I'll start up front. Powered torpedo room and crew quarters. Bunk beds soldered into the hull. Officers' quarters. Galley kitchen. Radio closet. Control room. Keep coming. Follow me back. Here's the engine room. And then at the very back, another torpedo room. 220 feet, bow to stern. We're starting this very claustrophobic. Everyone lives on top of each other. There's pressure on every inch of the boat from all that water. Ping. My dad, Craig, loved to read about Adolf Hitler, Japan, Italy, all that mess. His bookshelf was full of red and black. He also loved boats, cars, tractors, anything with an engine. He spent most of his free time on his back, gazing at the underbelly of a car. Dad's garage was a rundown shack, the only structure left when my parents bought the lakefront property. They built an angular super mod house, but left the doorless shack in the house's shadow with a dirt floor and one broken window, dusty and jagged. I see myself standing in that dirt in my scouting gear. Khaki shirt, white knee socks, shorts, and a tidy red scarf. I've earned 25 badges, which isn't easy. A humid summer night, still not dark, though it should have been, I was waiting to say something to my dad to get his attention. He was under the car and he didn't like visitors. Why was I out there? Maybe it was time for dinner. He held a greasy black wrench in his hand. He was mad. Something was wrong. Maybe he couldn't fit the connecting rod into the crankshaft. He took his wrench and whacked a pipe. Any old car, dad could get it going. He had a magical ability to fix his special things and they were always breaking. There were three radios lined up next to each other on a workbench inside the garage. He also had an extra refrigerator out there where he kept his beer. He tuned all his radios to the same station, a talk show. Dad yelled at callers every single one as he worked. Goddamn idiot. I agreed with his disagreeing. I hated what dad hated, including mom. He didn't look up even after I called out to him. So I went inside the house where it wasn't time for dinner. Mom was upstairs writhing on the bedroom floor. I didn't like that, whatever it was, maybe excess energy in her body and overload to the power station. I wanted nothing to do with it. Dad stuck his name on everything we shouldn't touch. He had a plastic tape labeling gun, very high tech. He typed out his initials on stiff pieces of tape so there was no mistaking what was his. Band-aid box, camera case, glass bottles of Coke. He even labeled his pencils. He moved the tape down as he sharpened them. As soon as I was old enough, I climbed onto a chair, broke into his briefcase, and chewed through his pack of juicy fruit gum. His 10-speed bike had a leather tool case, a fitted satchel with snaps that attached under the seat. There was tape on the satchel, tape on the seat, tape on the handlebars. Plus, the seat was too tall for my legs. I rode it anyway. Fell, got hurt, did it again. If there had been someone to see me try and fail, some kind of witness, it might have gone better. A watcher. A scout for the scout. There never is one, you know. What would that other scout have seen? Me, the girls, all of us. Being pulled toward a fan in socks on a well-oiled floor. Thank you so much for reading. Um, there's so many things I want to... There's so many ways I can go. Um, I guess... 
Well, first I'll start with this. You said this is your first published novel. You have many unpublished that have, have come. And I and that's a frequent theme that comes up in conversations I have with debut authors. Um what if you if there was a number of books that were started, finished, or unfinished, finished, hidden in drawers, how many numbers? What number is this book in earnest? Oh, oh well, that's easy. I mean, I'm, I I finished my books, so I just had a hard time getting them published. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing put away. Um, I wrote a novel in college that was insane. <laughs> <laughs> it was called White Ellen, and it was um, it was similar to this book in that it was polyphonic. There are many voices, but the voices never kind of agreed or got together, and it just mm. didn't work. Um, and the, uh, but I sent it out. So there was White Ellen that I wrote a book called Teresa Breathe in my 20s. And actually parts of this novel were pulled from that. So mm. I had gone back to that to rework it. And that became the daughtership. Um, really just the first section, um, a small part of it. Um, and then I wrote a book called When the Children Were Babies. And that is um, remains unpublished. And then this one. So this would be one, two, like four. Yeah. I love diving into that because so many uh, not so many but a lot of people who reach out on social media or email to me they that's a frequent thing they want to know it's like well should i put like i people ask me for advice and i'm like i don't ask me for advice i have no no advice but it's like should i self-publish should i just give up on it i was like i mean listen to what the authors are telling you who are published um when you went back and picked out some parts of that of book two to fit into the daughtership was it a lot of reworking or yeah, like, um, talk, well, talk about that well, process. Yeah, it's a, it was a pretty um, exciting and fun process, really. So what I did was um, I started taking these night school classes at the new school, um, mm-hmm. creative writing classes. And my teacher there, his name was John Reed, and he has a bunch of books published. He's a really inspiring teacher. And he was really obsessed with drafts and um, like, you know, first draft, second draft, you know, third draft revision. Um mm-hmm. And so when I jumped into the class, I needed something to revise. And so I was more in a revision. I was, it was more about revision than drafting. So I just went back and grabbed Teresa Breathe, which was the novel I've been, that I had never gotten published from my twenties. And at that point I was in my forties. And so um, it actually ended up really getting me to rethink. And I'd also written a screenplay based on Teresa Breathe. Mm. So it was very well-traveled territory. Um, <laughs> But I had grown a bit older and wiser. And so I we went back into it. And then um, I did a bunch of workshops with Nick Flynn, who um, is a poet and a memoirist. And he he really teaches poetry workshops. And so um, in poetry workshops, you play a lot of games. Um, and I had never really taken poetry workshops because I'm not a poet. But um, I was so I bring my novels into these poetry workshops. <laughs> And I was bringing the pages from Teresa Breathe into the poetry workshops. And we, we did all these kind of games with it. And more I started playing with it, that's when everything sort of opened up with all the metaphors about the submarine. And um, and actually, on top of it all, I was doing this really intensive therapy called internal family systems therapy. And that's where all the little inner child parts came about. So it was kind of like I went back and took this draft and it exploded in my hands because of what was going on in my life 20 years later. Yeah. Wow. I find that oh, that's so amazing. And so as uh, the daughtership starts to unfold, um, 
you mentioned like the two parts and and it's not like a traditional narrative in a lot of sense but then it 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 really is um how did you <laughs> land on like how you told the story um it's funny as i'm talking i'm mentioning all these teachers that i had and i really did um i got a lot of input in workshops now yeah. that i think about it um so and it's funny too because um so with the whole submarine narrative um, well, the metaphors, okay, so the metaphors came from all those poetry workshops. And um, so I had all these metaphors going like, like engine repair, um, and which, and some, a lot of them you hear in the first part that I read, you mm -hmm, know, there was mm -hmm. like an, a metaphor of engine repair um, and troubleshooting, um, and a metaphor of like electricity with batteries. And um, that came from something from my childhood, like a nickname that my dad used to have for me. And then, um, you know, then there was um, the submarine, of course, and a lot of like mar mar marine life because the book is set in Virginia Beach. And so when I took these, when you're taking poetry workshops, every single image gets magnified. You know, you'll take, you like, maybe you'll, you'll put like a shell on the table and just describe the shell. And so as a result of that process, um, all these like poetry metaphors came out um, and then I had the realistic narrative going along in the background mm. that had come from my original draft. It was more realistic fiction, like you said. So there's just a woman, she's in her forties. She lives in New Jersey. She's having marital um, confusion. She's having like kind of a midlife crisis. And and then there's the original thread from that I had started in my twenties, which is about a girl in New York city who is facing the fact that she's an addict. So mm. all of it was sort of like jammed together and, um, I did this workshop with Annie DeWitt. Have you heard of Annie DeWitt? Mm. She's a novelist. Um, she's a novelist. She's very much like language oriented. And I did like a four day workshop with her and she read it. And she said, um, it was one of the situations where she said, I'm really interested in the submarine. Um, and I just really want you to take the things that happened in the submarine and just really write it out and make that more, the, more the story than everything else. And of course I was like, I thought the book was finished and I was irritated by the input didn't want anyone telling me what to do. And so I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, the book's done. Forget about the submarine. And then about a month and a half later, I like woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, the submarine, <laughs> that's where all the life is happening here. Um, so at that point, that whole sub thread became a major part of the book. And so, but to really to tell you how it all, well, anyway, that's, let me just stop there. And then you can ask more questions. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I answer, mean, but it's really hard to talk about a, like a nine year writing process. Like, sure. And like throughout that nine years, uh, I mean, maybe this doesn't really make sense, but did you feel it was a cohesive project or were you kind of working on this and that and then it all came together? Did you know everything that you were writing was for what became the book? Um, yes, I knew that everything I was writing was for what became the book. And looking back on it now, because I'm working on a new book, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's really important for me to honor the process and to also just honor the amount of time it took and not to be hung up on that. And um, sometimes there were fallow periods where I wasn't really doing much on the book at all, or there was a period. And, and, you know, I think one way I can track the sort of progress of the book is that I had about 30 different titles for it over the years. And, you know, I had my son like pretty much grew up while I was writing the book. And yeah. 
um, he would say like, mom, you're never going to finish this book, you know? And I would just be like, I am going to finish it. I promise. So, um, I, it was always, it was always a novel because, you know, like I said, it's the fourth novel I've written. So I really do see myself as a novelist and I don't have, um, it was also always a literary novel. So I didn't um, put pressure on myself to, have it make sense or fit a certain mm-hmm. structure. Although I do study plot. Um, I do sp- study books about plot. I mean, I think plot, and I think that's why, as you said, like there is a, there is a plot like chug, chug, chugging along in this yeah. book. I also allowed myself to spend, you know, to make drawings and make collages. And um, one of the techniques I learned in one of the poetry workshops was called cut-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, and should I go more into the cut-ups or yeah. I'm yeah, just talk, talk, please talking. do. Okay. I love talking. Okay. Well, I'm talking. Um. So. <laughs> well, I love uh, hearing. Yeah. Yes, you're hearing. I just want. Yeah. Uh, this is a not. This is a good time to be a compulsive talker because I'm yes. So exactly. Encouraged. Yeah. Um. Okay. So cut ups. It's that's something that I started learning in the poetry workshops, where um with Nick Flynn, where you like we would have there'd be like ten of us in the class, and we would have all these pages, and then we would cut them all up into pieces, and then just scatter them around the floor and then reorganize them. Like that's what I mean by poetry games. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it, it makes someone very, it can make a person very uptight to take this thing that they've worked on to put in order and make it make sense. And then just cut it up with scissors and just, and then also you get rid of a lot of stuff when you do that. Cause when you cut it up, you just, you get rid of things that are not alive. And that was incredibly freeing for me. So a lot of what I did, like I would get to the end of a draft and I would just cut it up and like, mm-hmm. You know, I had a big dining room at the time and I would just, I had a ping pong table and I would just put all the little pieces on the ping pong table and move them around. Like, and that really helped me try to figure out how to structure it because it is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, the structure. Yeah. So yeah. it literally was a puzzle. It was pieces of paper that I put in order many, many times. Thank you so much to Boo for joining the Day Beautiful First Taste reading series to read from and briefly discuss her debut novel, The Daughtership, which is out now. You can find her on her website at boutrundle.com or follow her on Instagram at the same name, Boo Trundle. You can also follow her on Twitter at Eliz Trundle. That's E-L-I-Z Trundle. And you can follow Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.